spoke a couple weeks ago about, you know, the, kind of the difference between our prayers and, and prayers in Scripture and the way Jesus did things and the disciples, you know, they're just like, uh, stand up and walk. You know, there wasn't this, okay, everybody. So, but we would do what we do and God thanks for working through us and using us. Um, I, I just want to, I want to share something here and I, I believe that the Lord was just speaking to me this morning, just impressing on me, uh, just prophetically for us as a people. Um, I'm going to say some things that I know that you're, you're already seeing, you're already witnessing, but I just want to kind of frame it just a little bit. And then we're just going to say, amen and Lord do what you're going to do. But I was just impressed as, you know, Landon's here and, and different things. I've never, I've never been a part of a group of people, family, community, where there's been so many moves at one time. We have, I mean, Cunningham's and, you know, uh, Creelocks and some, Paul and Annie Graves and different ones who are moving. What's that? Hardens, Whites. Uh, Elijah and Jessica, they're not part of this congregation, but they're part of us, and uh, we claim them. Um, they're moving. They've got a, a, a ministry that, they're, that God is calling them to that they're going to be starting in, uh, in Lawrence, Kansas. They're going to the University of Kansas, and God has called them out there from Kentucky to uh, join with some others and, and have a campus ministry there. They're going to be doing that full-time. And so they're, they're basically missionaries in our own country going to those campuses, dedicating their lives to see the glory of God come to realization there. Many of you know Elijah. Most of you don't know Jessica. She's been this hidden gem in Kentucky until, we, uh, until they got married here just a little while ago. We were able to be out there for their wedding. But um, I'd like to ask you to consider supporting them just personally and uh, consider supporting their ministry. Again, just like we would send somebody to Kenya or anywhere else, uh, Mission Sunday, but they are going out and they need that. So at, they're going to be at family camp. They're going to be around and you can talk with them, connect with them at different times. If you need their contact information, you can get a hold of me and I can give that to you. But we'd like to just highlight that to you. But we have these transitions. Now let's use the word new season. There's a new season for so many, and this happens in the natural, and then it happens in the spirit. First in the natural, then in the spirit. And so we see these things. We see babies being born. We see homes, transition, all those kinds of things, new cities, new responsibilities. We just installed elders here at Christ Church. I think that was the beginning kind of, of, of some of this wave that was uh, that's beginning to take place. Coming here in September, we're going to be establishing home groups. There's, so there's new home uh, establishments there, new responsibilities for home group leaders, life group leaders, whatever they're going to be called. Uh, we're going to be establishing deacons. Some of us are going, I have no idea what a deacon is. It just They pick weeds once in a while or, or something like that. But God is going to bring about a new transition of responsibilities. He's going to release new giftings through the body here that we can be built up and grow and mature together in the way that He's calling us to do. And so I want you to keep your eyes out because 
God is going to use you just as there are babies in the natural, there are going to be new babies in the Spirit. People's eternal address is going to change. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and God is going to use us to be a part of that, and we need to be ready for that. So this is a new season for us. New season. You can feel it. I mean, school's about to start. Everybody's gearing up. There's this anticipation that's going on. But God has been doing something in us um, up to this point, and He's going to begin to do some new things through us. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. Use your word. Go deep in our hearts. Lord, there's no greater pattern than you to follow in all of life. We find our true purpose in following you. Amen. Amen. There's no, we, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. We've been in this since December. As we've said, other pastors, they've taken years to get through it. I don't think it's going to take us that long, but we're going for a shot at the title. Why are we doing this? It's like, man, I can read a lot faster than that, and I hope you are. I hope you're getting into the Word. But I hope, I trust that you're gaining a greater hunger and thirst for God's Word. Greater hunger and thirst for God Himself. There's no greater example in Scripture, no greater pattern in Scripture than Jesus. And that's why we're in the Gospel of Luke, because we're studying Him really, really closely. 1 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter, he says, Husbands, live with your wives with understanding. What does that mean? It's a scientific study of her. It is a lifelong journey of trying to understand. And if you're wise, you stopped trying to understand a long time ago, and you're just living with understanding and studying, just like, wow, this is new. I never saw this before. Because they're so intricate and amazing the way that God has created them. But, yeah, amen, there you go. All the men said, amen, we don't want to live like somebody like us. So, we're following Jesus through Luke's Gospel as a roadmap of how does Jesus do life. If He's the pattern, how did He do life? Holy Spirit's goal is to make us like whom? Just like Him. Well, if we're not in there studying, how are we going to know? If we don't get Jesus into us through His Word, how is Jesus going to come out of us? Hebrews 4 tells us that the Word of God is alive and it's active. It's working continually. So as we're getting in here, this isn't just ink on a page. Literally, if you will allow it to do its work in you, This is alive and active and it's going to get into your spirit. It bypasses your mind even sometimes. Not that we don't, you know, put the mind to the side or anything. We glorify God and love Him with all of our mind. All of our heart. Mm -mm -mm. Holy Spirit's goal is to cause us to be like Jesus, to love our spouses like Jesus. He does. To love our children like Him. To love our parents like Him. 
to love others like him. A couple weeks ago, when when uh, I think it was uh, July 20th, we're still in chapter 9 here, and we looked at the amazing experiences on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter and some of the a couple of the guys, they're up on this mountain. They have this amazing experience. But they come down, and they come back down into the valley off this mountaintop. And it's they're describing what hits them when they come off there because they have to go back to real life. Changing diapers. Evan, get ready. You got good years ahead of you, man. (laughs) Cleaning up after people. Dealing with people's messes. You got a demon-possessed guy right off the bat. It's real life. It's life in the trenches. And so the Word of God is consistent, it's steady, it's reliable. You can take it to the bank all the time in spite of life's ups and downs and all around and all the rest. And that's why we're in here. And we are being changed and transformed whether we understand it or not. God calls us, though, to take His Word and to apply it. So let's get in here. If you're taking notes... Which I hope you are. Pastor Stone's coming to family camp. He always used to say this. He said, serious people write things down. How in the world are we going to be able to take something, remember it? I don't know about you. My memory's not that good. But if you're writing things down so you can go back. I actually got a letter this, um, uh, or mom got a letter from, from somebody here. And, and uh, they just said, you know, every week we just take the word and we just go over it together. Go over it together, just getting into it so that that's somebody who's hungry, who's thirsty, who's seeking to apply what they've been given. Because I know when our bosses, when they give us a direction at work or something, we're, what are we doing? We're taking notes because we know that we're going to be tested based upon whether or not we follow through on that. Amen. Here we are, chapter 9, verse... Sorry, 43. They have had just, just had this encounter. They weren't able to cast out this demon after they've come off the mountain. And Jesus is like, man, how long am I going to be with you guys? And he says here, while everyone was marveling over all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, listen to me and remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. The Son of Man's going to be betrayed, but they didn't know what he meant. Its significance was hidden from them so that they could not understand it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So Peter's like, dude, John, ask him. What is that? What the heck is he talking about? I'm not asking him. I don't want to look like an idiot. Why? Because right after this, what are they going to do? They're going to start jockeying for position. They don't want to look like the idiot so that they aren't going to get the nice place. Okay? So, next year, then there was an argument among them as to which of them would be the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Interesting. So the example that he's going to bring about how to be great in his kingdom is this little kid. 
Of course, we know looking at from history in that time that children and women were basically chattel. They were lesser than. It was a very patriarchal society, man-centered society. And here Jesus is breaking all the barriers and he's saying, here's the great ones. So he brought a little child to his side. He's holding him on his lap and he says to him, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Least in what way? Whoever's got the least amount of money? Is that the best? He's talking about something of the heart here. He who doesn't think of himself more highly than he ought to. Who considers others. I love when we go back to what it means to be a leader in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, tells us in Matthew chapter 20, he says, you know in this world kings are tyrants and officials lord it over the people beneath them, but among you it should be quite different. So whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. The one with simple faith. You know, that's what I saw when we went to Kenya, Dean. When we went to Kenya, what we saw is a very simple faith. Not simple in terms of uh, elementary, but simple as in when God says it, they do it. They just, they just obey Him. It's not all complex and complicated. It's just a simple, Jesus has given me this direction. God is telling us what to do as a church, and, and they just go there. I love seeing that. Simple forgiveness. Not complicated, not all the, but, 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 but. Jesus forgave me. He died that I could forgive. And He commands me to forgive as well. And so I will forgive. Jesus loved the world that He gave. And so I will love and I will give as well like He has called us to. You ever play the comparison game? What's that? Confessions of a pastor's kid. Over there in that sanctuary right over there. Actually, down one more. In the big gym. Remember John? My sister and I used to sit toward the back. I don't know why we sat in the back, but we, we did with my mom. And, and um, we'd sit back there. You know when you get the giggles and you can't stop, but it's quiet in the church because you're supposed to be quiet in church, right? I'm not supposed to talk, laugh. If you smile, you're pushing it. 
right? It's supposed to be just really subdued and just... Mm. Well, yeah, help my sister and I. So we'd sit in the back and we'd make fun of people and look at people and poke fun and, and just, you know, we're comparing ourselves, maybe trying to make ourselves look better, feel better, uh, whatever. But you know what? Some funny people show up at church. And so we'd get the gills and we'd start laughing and, you know, Pastor Hammond's preaching and there's this quiet part in the sermon and all of a sudden you're like, you know, and you just can't hold it and you bust out. You get the look, darting eyes, looking down the line, down the aisle from your mom or your dad. And, uh, but we compared. We're looking at who's the greatest. Looking at people from the outside. Rather than the way God's called us to, in terms of the inside. In the kingdom of God here, Jesus is saying that our greatness is measured by our love for others. Jesus is the greatest. He's the pattern. He's the model. What did he do? How did he love? That's why we're in here in the Luke's gospel. How would you measure your greatness in the kingdom of God? How much love do I show for others? Let's take a look at James chapter 2. Let's see how we, how we measure up. Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use, verse 14, chapter 2, what's the use of saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? That kind of faith can't save anyone. Suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing and you say, hey, goodbye and God bless you. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Nice sentiment, nice thought. He's saying, show me the money. Where's the action? So you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It's dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. I say, I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds, but I will show you my faith through my good deeds. When's the last time I demonstrated care and love for others. Someone that I don't know. Someone in need. How aware am I of needs around me? Jesus was very aware of the needs. Jesus, help us be aware like you're aware. To see, to hear someone with, uh, with back pain. To pray for them. Hey man, can I pray for you? Failure story. I'm uh, at DJ's gun store in Bothell, and just in there uh, looking around. And the guy who is um, helping me, showing me some different handguns and whatnot, and and uh, 
he's, he can barely get down. He's, you know, get down on his knees, and I think his name's Mike. And he is MS or something um, along those lines. And, and, uh, and I'm just, I'm hearing the Lord say, you know, pray for him. Like, this is one of those big diseases, though. This isn't like the cold, and he's okay, and he'll get well after a while. And we could just say, if he gets well eventually, then, you know, the prayer worked. And there's other people around. They're watching, looking at stuff, and here I am. Am I going to pull the trigger, right? Am I going to offer to give him a piece of Jesus that Jesus is really wanting to give him. I didn't. Come on, you guys. Aww. Why didn't I do that? I was afraid. I was afraid what other people think. God, Jesus, you were not afraid. You were not afraid, regardless of the outcome, because you know what? Jesus prayed for people too, and they didn't get healed. Hmm. So the pattern one, the model for us, the example for how to live life, also prayed for people, because they didn't have the faith to receive and whatever, and so, but he still prayed. He still said, rise up and walk. So, when was the last time that I demonstrated care for others and gave them Jesus? Here's the most important question going out of here. When's the next time I'm going to do that? Okay, because hopefully what I've done is I've learned from that situation and the next time is going to be different. Jesus uses this child to make his point, us helping those that are incapable of giving much of anything back. A lot of times it's easy to, you know, offer something to someone when we know we're going to get something in return. But here, this little child, he had nothing to give. John says to Jesus, verse 49, Master, hey, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. We tried to stop him because he isn't in our group. Jesus says, you guys, with an exclamation exclamation point on the end, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. So we have the disciples fighting amongst themselves, exposing a lack of love for one another amongst the believers. Then what we're going to see here is we're going to see a lack of love for other believers that are not in their group. Our group is better than your group by the very fact that I'm in this group and you're not. Our group here in North Shore is better than Elijah's group because he's over in Kansas. They do things a little bit differently. Yeah, we believe all the the, the basic hardcore things, but you know what? We're going to divide and separate and cause division because we don't have all our ducks in a row the same way that they do. 
I'm so grateful that that's not us, right? We don't think those things. Man, the, the Nazarenes down the street, they just get their act together. Those Lutherans, you know. Jesus is Lord. He came and He died. He gave His blood so that we could live. He rose again on the third day. And He ascended into heaven and He sits at the right hand of the Father. And He is coming again soon. Amen. 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 They're outside of our group. Local church. They're outside of our denomination. As if we have the corner on the market and we're God's favorites. I think we're going to be a little bit shocked. I think we're going to be a little bit surprised at who shows up at the big banquet in the sky. Elijah and I were talking about this yesterday and his dad used to say, you're going to be surprised at who shows up and who's not there. How do we measure greatness? Hmm. So, as the time drew near for this return to heaven, I want you to, I want to mark this right here. I want you to underline, if you have your Bible there, I want you to underline and highlight that part because this is going to mark a watershed moment right here in, in our journey through the Gospel of Luke. Because here through chapter 19, Jesus is on a journey. He is setting his face as the time drew near for his return to heaven. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It means resolutely he set his face. And he is focused on the goal at hand, which is to fulfill the will of his Father and to save mankind through His death on the cross. And that's what Jerusalem is all about. So, in verse 52, He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for His arrival. But this village turned them away. The people of the village refers, refused to have anything to do with Jesus because He had resolved to go to Jerusalem. When Jesus and John heard about it, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we order down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebukes them again. So they went on to another village. What is going on here with these guys? Lack of love for one another. Lack of love for other believers. And now lack of love for the lost. People that don't even know God. These are the Samaritans. Remember historically, Samaritans and Jews, they hate one another. And here Jesus is going to this Samaritan village. Why? Because that's where he's drawn to. He's drawn to these people that are helpless and hopeless without him. And he's saying, guys, come on, let's go, let's go help these people. And what's their response? All of a sudden, they're having visions of Elijah. They're going, hey, didn't we heard about this story when we were going about Elijah burn, you know, calling down fire on these people? Let's burn them up. What do you say, Jesus? See, I don't have so much of a problem with God. 
I've got a problem with you. It's, it's not that difficult living with God. I know, I know there's a price tag and a cost associated with that, and we're going to talk about it in a second, but you know what? The difficult part is loving you. Do you know that you make life difficult? You do. God, me, we're great. Lisa's the one who makes life difficult for me. Justice and Madison, they all do. And of course, I make life difficult for them, don't I? I'm the difficult piece of the puzzle. You didn't have to agree so quickly, Justice. (laughs) Son, go to the closet right now. Justin, you make like life difficult. Your attitudes, your, you know, whatever, your humanness, it's frustrating. So Jesus has set his course for Jerusalem to embrace the cross. And he's got all these pesky people in the way, these dudes that can't get it together. They don't have his heart. Nothing. You guys, a major part of the, of the cross of Christ is walking with one another. It's really tough. But without one another, we're a bunch of psychos. Without community, without family, with, without, you know, rubbing each other wrong and learning how to work things through and resolve conflict and all the rest, we're done. It's over, Caleb. We can't do it. I am so grateful to be in relationship with you people. I'm so grateful. Even you, Todd. <laughs> Loving the unlovable, that is tough. <laughs> Can I get an amen, Natasha? Yeah. Yeah. How about Jesus? Because we're looking at him, not at one another. That's where the disciples got off, right? They're looking at they're looking this way, they're looking horizontal rather than looking at Jesus. Because Jesus puts up with us. And Jesus forgives us and we know our stuff and all that. And that's where the grace comes in. That's where the revelation comes in to say, I can't hold on to this. I can't, I can't call down, I can't have an attitude of calling down fire on people. Because right after you think that thought, you should hear this massive rebuke in your head just like that. And realize, I can't play that way. I can't play that way. So, we're going to wrap it up with this. Verse 57 through 62. Don't look back. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, again, here they are. Jesus knows what He's got to do. He's heading toward the cross. And He's got all these people making all these commitments to Him. But they've got all these strings attached. 
reminds you of the parable of the seed and the sower. And so they got these conditions. But Jesus, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you no matter where you go. You ever said that to Jesus? I'll follow you to the end, and this, my good man, is the end. Jesus replies, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but I, the Son of Man, have no home of my own, not even a place to lay my head. Can you imagine if Jesus said that to you? He starts pulling out nursery rhymes and foxes have places to live. And you're like, what are you talking about? What's Jesus saying? You know what? There's a cost associated with following me. You, by following me, you might ha- have a whole lot of worldly, earthly security. Things could get kind of crazy. And you might not have shelter. You might not have the simple pleasures in life. He says to another person, Hey, come be my disciple. Jesus is recruiting. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first, there's the condition. First, let me return home and bury my father. This is one of the most holy traditional acts in the Hebrew culture. was for a son to be able to take care of the burial rites of his father. Jesus replied, "Those let those who are spiritually dead care for their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach the coming of the coming God, of the kingdom of God. So in other words, following Jesus might cost you relationships. Some of you know exactly what that's like. It's cost you in terms of your family to follow Christ. It's cost you friendships to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Jesus is bigger than, than all of that. He's more important. I'm going to live my life like He does. I want to be like Him. Verse 61, And another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. They'd seen these other disciples give up everything and follow. And of course, we know that God so loved the world that He gave His Son free. Jesus is the free gift to us. But we also understand that in doing so, in receiving that free gift of eternal life, that there's an exchange of ownership that takes place. Without that exchange of ownership, and that's why we call Him Lord, not just Savior. And that's why Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Savior... No, as Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you believe that he could raise you from the dead as well, from your dead thoughts, from your dead fill-in-the-blank. Those things that need to be redeemed, restored, lifed by Jesus. If you believe that, then you will be saved. But it doesn't say confess with your mouth Jesus as Savior. People do that all the time. He's a good prophet. He's this. He's that. He's Savior. That's what this whole journey has been about. 
to answer this question. Why are we taking so long to do this, you might ask, but it's because it takes time to get into us. Who do you say that I am? Do you say that I'm Lord or do you say that I'm Savior? Because salvation has it results from that lordship in our life. It's proof, it's fruit that He really is our Savior. His gift of salvation is free, but there's got to be that change in ownership. There's a price tag. He finishes up. Jesus says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Where was Jesus going? He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit. Where did he set his face? On Jerusalem, on the cross. The will of the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. He was patterning for them and He's patterning for us today. Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know what? His boys didn't look back. They gave their lives for what they believed in, for what He gave them. Many of you are following what's going on in the news right now. You're seeing what's happening in Iraq. ISIS, this Islamic militant group, radical Islamic group, is moving across Iraq, taking over city after city after city. And you've heard of these different minority religious groups that are there, and they have been warned uh, to either convert, leave the cities, or die. There was a, a foreign businessman who was there. He's saying that many of them are being slaughtered. Women and children are being raped and beheaded. Their heads posted on fence posts in the streets. I, I watched a video yesterday of this. Anyone who is resisting, but it's these Christians, that I don't know how many thousands of them there are, they've fled to this place on this mountain to try and escape over 100 degree heat that they're in, no food, no water. Men and uh, children, um, women, whoever, they're, they're dying daily. And there is... Um, I don't know if there's a whole lot we can do, but one thing we can do is pray. Because I, one of the things I've been praying is God send manna from heaven. He did it for those that didn't have any food in the desert for His own people. And these are Christians. These are our brothers and sisters. We don't know them, anything about them, but they're there, they're suffering, and they're going through immense persecution. And they're saying, you know what? We'll be, we're willing to give our lives for our faith. There are some who are converting to Islam to save themselves. And I, I would just say, would you stand with me? Can we pray for them? Lord, those who have been faced with the threat of conversion to Islam, we just say, in Jesus' name, no. In Jesus' name, may they be able to look their persecutors in the eyes and say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm not going to give up Jesus 
for my own life, that if we give up our life in, in this life, that we will lose it. But if we give up our life for Your sake, we will gain it in the life to come. Strengthen these brothers and sisters. May the persecutors, may these different members of ISIS, may they come to know Christ. Lord, the, the, the blood of the martyrs throughout history has been that which has, has gone into the ground and brought up a massive harvest. Lord, these unreached people groups in these different Islamic nations that have been cut off from Christianity, we say, God, may your church rise up in this day. Draw us to prayer. Draw us to intercession to hold our brothers and sisters up in the face of this spirit of fear that is coming against them. In Jesus' name, we declare Your passion, Your crucifixion, Your resurrection, and Your ascension over their lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for us. We ask for us that that we would follow You, that we would not look back. Lord, You're drawing our hearts. You're speaking to us. We, not, we may not hear Your audible voice, but You're speaking to our hearts. You're drawing people in this room right now. in a new way, this new season. Lord, I ask we release new birth. New birth spiritually. Again, new eternal addresses from hell to heaven, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Jesus, we give You our lives. May we not turn back. Amen. Amen.